we said last week, Psalm 118 is the center of God's Word. And um, so we're doing a little series on getting focused, living focused lives. And I thought what a, a better time, uh, what not a better time to uh, get focused on the Lord and our relationship with Him. Also, we want to be praying for Jenna. She goes back to school. I think this, do you go back next week? This next week? And uh, also... Uh, the Vasquez girls are already back, right? They already went back. Who else? There's somebody else. Uh, Kayla. There you are. <laughs> I was looking for you and I didn't see you. So, do you go back next week? So, No? Oh, okay, 16th. Wow. All right. They're generous. Great. All right. But uh, be praying for them as they head back to school. And let's just uh, ask the Lord to, to bless uh, these young people as they go back to college and, and also just for God to bless his word this morning. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to pause and just to remember um, a couple of our young people who will be heading back to college in the next couple of weeks. And Lord, we just pray that you would bless their um, time, that you would bless their travels, that you would bless um, their time away at school, Lord, that you'd guard their hearts, that you would help them to glean everything they can from their education. Lord, that you would um, just make them into the, the women that you desire them to be a woman who uh, love you and desire to serve you. And Father, just pray that they would walk in a way that would be honoring to you. And we just thank you and uh, pray that you'd open our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you agree with me that life isn't easy? Who would agree with that statement? Life isn't easy. All right. Some of you got it easy, I guess. I don't know. But no one usually argues with that fact. Sooner or later, life is going to turn around and bite you. And uh, this morning, I want to look at the aspect, the title is God is in control. And uh, we've been looking at Psalm 118. And, you know, as hard as life can be sometimes, it seems the more you try to do, the, sometimes the more difficult it becomes. And when I say life isn't easy, I don't mean that life isn't good because life is good. Would you agree with that? Life is good. Every day you wake up, you take a, a breath of, I'd say fresh air, but I, I don't know what it's like in your house in the morning, but, you know, a, a breath of air in the morning, it's like, wow, okay, I'm alive. And life is good in that way. It's, it's possible for you to wake up each morning and greet each day with a smile, excited about the possibilities that lay before you. Um, excited about the direction you're going to be going, excited about what God is doing in your life right now, right now this morning. And that's true even when you're in the middle of a mess. It's true when everything isn't working out. What do I mean by a mess? I mean those unexpected complications that have a habit of creeping into our lives and plopping themselves right down in the middle of our laps. Maybe the mess was caused by your own mistakes. That's usually the messes that I deal with or my own mistakes. Uh, maybe it was caused by somebody else. Maybe it's a result of a turning economy that's not doing so well. Maybe it's the result of other circumstances in your life. They're just beyond your control. But you find yourself in a mess. And probably there doesn't a week go by without you finding yourself in the middle of some kind of a mess. They can come in the form of financial problems. Messes can come in the form of health problems. They can come in the, pro, in, the, in the form of relationship problems. Sometimes it seems that all those things occasionally just rain down on us at once. We're dealing with financial problems, health problems, relationship problems, and every other kind of problem that you can think of. And we find ourselves in this mess and we're thinking, okay, what's going on? Well, we're in week two of a series called, basically, Living in Focus. And it has the idea of getting centered on God. How to be at peace, how to remain optimistic, even when life doesn't fully cooperate with you the way you think it should. Um, you can find a place of rest in the presence of God. You can find a place of peace in the presence of God when you're going through difficult times. Last week, we saw the first step to getting focused on God. And that's to declare with confidence, God is for me. That sounds kind of trite. That sounds kind of 
theologically weak, you may say. But you know what? When you really understand what it means that God is for you, it's none of those things. It's a very powerful statement. It's a very even theologically deep statement. And I'm not going to preach last week's sermon, but I'll say this. If you believe these words, God is for me, you can endure anything. Anything. It doesn't matter what it is. Remember last week, go ahead and go to the next slide there. Next one. Next one. Okay, there you go. You can count on God, and I just want to go through these quickly. First of all, what's the first point there? I can't remember it, so you've got to put it up there for me. Go ahead. I'm serious. In times of trouble. <laughs> got a lot going on in my brain this morning. Um, you can count on God, thank you, you've got them all up there. You can count on God in times of trouble. And that's what verse 5 says. You can count on God in times of trouble. Look at Psalm 118, verse 5. He said, I called on the Lord in my distress. The Lord answered me and set me in a broad place. And we talked about how it's not fun being in a confined place, but finally when we're relieved and we get out of a packed car where everybody's jammed in the car, it's like, ah, I can finally relax. The tension just seems to melt away. Sometimes in times of trouble, the pressure just kind of surrounds you. I want you to know that you can count on God in times of trouble because God is for you. Secondly, you can count on God when you can count on no one else. In verse 7 of 118, Psalm 118, it says, The Lord is for me among those who help me. There shall I see, see my desire on those who hate me. Look at the first part of that. The Lord is for me among those who help me. And we looked at two lies. First of all, when we're in a mess, we're, we're in a problem. The first lie is God, doesn't, God is not for me, and nobody else is for me either, and I'm all by myself. And then we sit down and we have a little pity party. And God is saying, no, you know what? I am for you. And God has strategically placed people in your lives who are for you too. And so you can count on God when you can count on no one else. And what's the third one? You can count on God to correct you. And we look at Proverbs 19 when it talked about God's correcting hand. See, those are things that you can come to understand that God is for you. All right? Each one of those, in times of trouble, when you can count on no one else, and he's going to correct you. He's not just going to let you go your own little merry way as one of his children. He's going to bring you back into the fold. He's going to bring you back on the narrow path. And that's one way of affirming our salvation. That's one way of dealing with the doubts that we have sometimes dealing with our salvation. Have you ever been to a point where you just, I don't even feel saved. You know, somebody mentioned, I think it was Mary last week, about the, the Sunday you know, morning, the, the husband and wife are laying in bed and the husband is complaining, I don't want to go, I don't want to go to church, I don't want to go to church. Finally, the wife says, you have to, you're the pastor. You know, sometimes that's reality. I mean, that's just real life. I mean, you can't be so naive to think that every time Sunday comes, just something switches in me and it's like, okay, you go on autopilot. No, I love to be here and just everything's just great. No. Sometimes I got other issues that I'm dealing with in my head and maybe in my marriage and family, whatever, financially, that, you know, this is probably the last place I'd want to be. But it's what God called me to do. So you just got to be obedient and say, okay, God, I don't know what's going to happen this morning, but I'm going to trust you. And somehow he works it all out. So God is for us. You can face prison. Hope you don't have to. You can face persecution. You can face poverty, sickness, loneliness, failure. If you believe that God is for you. Look at the life of the Apostle Paul. He faced all those things pretty much and more. And yet he understood that God was on his side, that God was for him. On the other hand, if you don't believe God is for you, if you don't believe that God, the creator of all that we see around us, is on your side, you're going to be miserable. The smallest little thing. I mean, you can be driving down the Safeway and not be able to get a parking spot. And you can oh, what's my life? My life's over, you know. The smallest little thing can set you off into depression and into just wrong thinking. And every problem in your life all of a sudden becomes monumental. 
because you're forgetting that God is for you. And if God is for you, he's in your corner. And if he's in your corner, you remember a boxing ring? The guy in the corner is to help the guy. He doesn't come back to his corner. And the the, the coach doesn't say, you know, you're worthless. You're nothing. Why don't you just give up now? He doesn't say that. doesn't matter how bad they're losing or whatever. You know, you've got to get in there. You've got to throw the right. They're encouraging them. That's what God does to us. That's what he wants for us. Every little obstacle becomes insurmountable if you don't believe that fact. And it's the first crucial step to understanding that your life has to be focused on that truth. Well, there's a second truth that today we're going to look at. And it's the aspect of God being in control. Um, Because I don't know about you, but you look at the world around us. It doesn't take long for you to figure out, you know what, things are kind of out of control. I mean, don't you see that? I mean, just look at the economy. Look at the financial market. I mean, it's amazing what's happening. I mean, you know, it's, it's not probably as bad as back in the Great Depression and all that. I understand that because we live in a, such a, a blessed country today in so many different ways. But you know what? There's a lot going on and all of it's not good. Then you look at the aspect of war. Our country's in two of them a continuing third war on terror no matter where it comes up. We're about ready to change administrations. A lot of tension over that for the presidency. There's a lot of tension over in the Middle East right now. I mean, the world is not a happy place right now. It doesn't take very long for you to open up a newspaper and begin to realize that. And the reports on crime and war and the economy and the declining influence of the church in our society, all that stuff has a tendency to almost make you want to just be depressed. Just say, you know what, this next year I don't want to think about it. I'm just going to go home and get a quart of Haagen-Dazs peanut butter chocolate ice cream and just go to town, you know. That's what I do. I don't know what you guys do, But I want you to know today that no matter what it looks like, no matter what the world looks like, no matter what your personal life looks like, no matter how things may appear right now as you're sitting here this morning, and with each passing moment it seems it may be getting worse, I want you to understand the truth that God is in control. He is totally in control. No situation is beyond his grasp. It doesn't matter what this new year may bring. No situation is beyond his power to save, to turn around. And you know what? We see examples of that throughout the Bible. Throughout the Bible, we see examples of God's faithfulness, of God's being in control when it looks like all is lost. Remember the people of Israel. Can you imagine being with that many people standing on the banks of the Red Sea with rushing water before them? They got all the chariots, they got everything. And the Pharaoh's army closing in behind them. I mean, the situation looked hopeless. Totally hopeless. It looked out of control. And then God, kind of through his leader, says, you know what? Things aren't always what they may appear to be. And he made a way for the people of Israel to pass through the Red Sea. And he stopped Pharaoh's army, dead in their tracks, literally, from pursuing them on the other side. And all of a sudden, wow, things don't look so bad now. See, you may be standing on this side of that Red Sea, and you may just see the torments of of waves and everything around you, and you can't perceive passing through this trial that's before you. It's not even on your radar. You're just looking at it going, huh, no way. When you believe God is in control, beloved, you can do anything. You can literally believe anything and go through it with his blessing. In the same way, you remember when Jesus in the New Testament was arrested on that Friday before Sunday, before the resurrection. Friday is before Sunday, by the way. When his disciples were scattered, you remember that? And the sentence of death was passed upon their, quote, Messiah, the one who was supposed to, quote, save them. Now this guy's carrying a cross up to Golgotha to be executed 
by the Romans that he was supposed to overthrow. Wait, this isn't working out the way we thought it would. They were all with him when everything was going well, when the miracles were happening and everything. But boy, man, as soon as the hammer fell and things began to turn sour in their perception, what did they do? They scattered. The Bible says they ran. A few of the faithful stood watching from a distance lest they be identified, the Bible tells us. And they saw basically all that he had worked for, all that he had ministered for, all that he had, all the healings he'd done, all the miracles, everything, all that he talked about, all the promises. His disciples looked at all that and they thought, you know what? This is lost. This is, there's nothing to do here. We can't do anything. We can't go up against the Roman government ourselves. He was supposed to. Now they're going to kill him. So where's our hope? The situation looked, what? Out of control. See, but with God, once again, things aren't always what they appear to be. The death of Jesus on a cross was not the victory for Satan, was it? In fact, it was a crushing defeat. It was a crushing blow. Why? Because God was in control of the situation. I know that some of us here this morning are facing out-of-control situations in our life right now. I know that. And it appears that life is just basically tossing you like a you know, sheet in the wind from one random catastrophe to the next. Whether it's financial, health, marital things, with your kids, rebellious teenagers, whatever it might be, your work. And maybe you don't know how to respond. Maybe you're looking at all that and you're just going, ha, I can't deal with this. It's just too much. Maybe you're, you're in the middle of a situation that you think no one can fix. And that belief even goes to the all-powerful, all-knowing God. You even think, you know what, there's no way. I want to encourage you this morning, in spite of how things appear, how things appear are not always how they are. I want you to know that God is in control. If you want to find a place of peace during a storm, if you want to get focused in the middle of a mess, then you need to nail down this certainty, this truth, once and for all, that God is in control. When you read the Psalms, you see that David, who wrote most of them, is just very, very honest with God. He just tells God the way it is. In Psalm 10, in verse 1, one translation reads this way, O Lord, why do you stand so far away? Do you ever feel that way? Do you ever feel that God is just like this distant voice that's kind of hidden in a fog somewhere? Why do you hide when I need you the most? Do you ever feel like you were just crying out to God and there's nothing, nothing, just darkness? In another Psalm 35, 23, he says, Oh Lord, you know all about this. Do not stay silent. Don't abandon me now, O oh Lord. Have you ever had conversations with God like that? In another Psalm, Psalm 38 too, he says, Your arrows have struck deep and your blows are crushing me. This is David's conversation with the Almighty, beloved. Pretty honest. Pretty brutal, really. In another Psalm, David goes as far as to say in Psalm 44, 10, and then verse 12, But now you have tossed us aside in dishonor. That's how he feels. You sold us, your precious people, for a pittance. You valued us as nothing at all. You have caused all of our neighbors to mock us. Have you ever been in a situation where maybe it's an embarrassing situation, maybe it's just a struggle that you're dealing with and you begin to realize that, you know what, people are mocking you. They're looking at your life and they're going, yeah, yeah, Joe Christian, look at you now. I've been there. It's embarrassing. It's heart-wrenching. You shake your fist at God. You say, why are you allowing this to happen? <laughs> I mean, can you believe the honesty of his words? 
See, and, and I want you to understand this morning that it's absolutely okay with God to be honest with Him. It's okay with God to, to, to go into His presence and tell Him how you feel. You can tell Him how you feel. You can tell Him what you think. You can even tell Him what you believe. You can tell Him all your doubts. You can tell Him all your wants. You can tell Him what you don't want. You can tell Him exactly what is in your heart. Here's why. He already knows. (laughs) He already knows. Isn't that good news? He already knows what's in your heart. Do you ever have? Do you ever do something wrong? You had to go and you had to make kind of amends and confess that sin to whoever you you, you wronged. What I've found in my life, I seem to have to do that a lot. But when I find that in my life, when I do that, it's it just kind of eases the blow a little bit when the other person knows already that you've done something wrong. You know what I'm saying? I mean, say. I borrowed Ken's car and destroyed it, just wrecked it, ran into a tree. And he drove by Jefferson and saw, like, oh, there's my car. Oh, so there's the pastor. Oh, he's out walking around, but my car's not. <laughs> my car's destroyed. And he stopped. And he said, you all right? Yeah, yeah. Sorry about your car. We well, already knows. He saw it. That would be a lot easier than having to go over and knock on his door and go, you know, the car uh, you let me borrow, um, it's totally gone. It's destroyed. That would be hard. See, God already knows what's in your heart. He already knows. When you talk to God, you're not supplying new information to Him. Do you understand that? Sometimes that's how we pray. We pray like God doesn't know what's going on and somehow we're, we're God's informant. <laughs> and so we've got to tell Him everything because He doesn't already know it. See, when we go to God in prayer, beloved, for our needs, we're not bringing Him up to date on the situation. Do you know that? God already knows what's going on with the situation. Sometimes, and I even do it myself. So I'm not, you know, I mean, I'm preaching this to myself too. Go to God, oh God, you know, got this plane trip coming up on next Wednesday and three kids and, and Lord, I, you know, the, the plane trip out here was not a blessing to say the least. Um, so whatever you can do, Lord, you know, and, and then you start, you know, informing God. He already knows. He already understands. And so when we pray, we shouldn't pray some Pollyanna prayer like we're fooling God. Sometimes when we pray, and I've heard people do this, and I don't mean this to be mocking in any way, but you need to think about this logically and completely because when you're praying, you're talking to God. Right? Isn't that what prayer is? You're talking to the Lord. And... We used to have a professor in college, and he kind of had a, a kind of a, I want to say Mickey Mouse kind of voice, you know, just kind of hi, hi, okay, open your Bibles too, you know, and he started talking like that. Okay, well, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father. And it's like his voice dropped like 10 octaves, and all of a sudden he began this King James speech. It was just so weird. Oh, thou almightiest God of thy heavens. And and he doesn't talk that way. I can see if you talk that way and then you prayed that way. It just kind of does something weird in me when I hear people pray and all of a sudden it's like they turn into something they're not. Why do we do that? I've done it. We've all done it. I mean, you're not fooling God. Are we trying to impress somebody else? That would be wrong. Then don't even pray if that's the reason you're praying. It's just kind of silly, I think. So we need to pour our hearts out to God and be honest. You're not fooling Him. And when you pour your heart out to Him in the way you normally talk, He's not shocked. He's not going, Oh, no, you what? What happened? Tell me that again? I didn't get that the first time? I can't believe that. He already knows. See, there's no point in praying prayers that don't reflect the truth of what's going on in your life. There's no, there's no point in that. I know on occasions, 
not very often, but occasions, and, and I got to qualify this, but, you know, my wife and I get in an argument or whatever, and just get frustrated with each other. And we do that a lot. I mean, most couples probably do that, so, you know, I don't have anything to hide. But occasionally, I get so frustrated, let's just pray. And that's how I pray. You can ask her. God, I don't know what's going on in this relationship right now. And I'm angry. And it's almost like, is this okay? Should you pray this way? Shouldn't you? You know what? God is fine with that. He's saying, yeah, let it out. If you're going to be yelling at anybody, I'd rather be you yelling at me than her. Be honest with your prayers. Now, I don't do that every time. Okay, so don't get your, I want you to put me up wherever. I, that's like the exception, okay. But there's no point in praying prayers that don't reflect the truth of what's going on in your life. Um, and the good news is it's not necessary to put a front up between you and God. You can tell God honestly how you feel. You, you can tell him what you really feel. That's why he's there. C.S. Lewis put it this way. We should bring to God what is in our hearts not what we think should be in our hearts. I like that. We should bring to God what's in our hearts, not what we think should be in our hearts. So when you're in a mess, don't try to play games with God, with your prayers. Be honest with Him. Be open with Him. And then you can take that honesty one step further. See, it's not just enough to complain about the details in your situation. We need to learn to say, God, you know what? In spite of all that's going on in my life right now, in spite of all these feelings that I'm feeling that I just don't feel very good about, I'm going to trust you in this situation. Because I'm going to choose to believe that you're in control because that's what your word says. I don't like this situation. I don't like feeling this way. I don't like being in this situation. But you know what? I know that you're in control. And I know that this situation may be bigger than me, but it's not bigger than you. And I'm going to trust you to get me through it. I will believe that you're in control. I want to share with you three things to develop a God is in control mindset as you embrace this new year. Three things. Three things that we can build confidence, our confidence in with God. These aren't superficial kind of affirmations. These are steps that you have to take if you're going to learn to put your trust in God. The first thing, number one, is celebrate each day as God's gift. Celebrate each day as God's gift. Psalm 118 verse 24 says this. This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Celebrate each day as God's gift. If you've ever been to church, camp, or vacation Bible school, or even anywhere, you've heard this verse. It's a song. We sang one version of it this morning. But we have to embrace each day. This is the day that the Lord has made. A good way to start each day, first of all, is declaring that today is God's day. Just make that declaration when you open your eyes. Today is God's day. He created it, and you know what? He's in control of it. So whatever may befall me today, God already knows about it. And I'm going to choose to rejoice in it. I want you to know that today is not an accident waiting to happen. God made this day specifically for you to live out according to His purpose, according to His plan. Some of you may be sitting here this morning and say, well, okay, He made the day, but you know what? I ruined it before it ever even started with some stupid thing I did. Or I can't say that word. My grandkids say that's a bad word. Stupid is a bad word. So silly thing I did. There you go. We'll edit that out. It's amazing what you learn from you know, being around grandkids. That's, but each day is a gift from God. Yesterday, I think it was, or the day before, I was getting the kids ready to come over to the church. And uh, Sophia, come on, hurry up, get ready, get ready, get ready. And she's putting her shoes on or something in the living room. She's sitting down. She looks at me. She goes, Grandpa, 
why do you have an angry face on? Something to that effect. I'm like, what? You know, and then my wife and daughter chimed in and added to the whole thing. But that's the way Grandpa always is. And I was like, oh, nice lot. But, but she's right. Okay? My face was not one of, I was kind of getting growing impatient. I was being irritated. It was like, come on, get your shoes on. Let's go. We got a place to go, people to see, things to do. And she picked right up on it. See, sometimes I think that we wake up every morning with an angry face. And we're looking at today and we're going, oh, what's going to come my way? No, we need to learn to celebrate each day as God's gift. Declaring that today is God's day. He created it. He's in control of it. And we have to rejoice in it. No matter how things look, today is not ruined. It may be difficult, but it's not destroyed. This is the day that the Lord has made. And he intends to accomplish one of two things in the next 24 hours after you open your eyes. Either he will carry you through whatever situation you're facing or he'll deliver you from it. He's not going to abandon you. He's going to help you. Let's just say that together. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Ready? This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Let's start every day with that in our hearts because God is there to carry you through it. He'll strengthen you throughout that day. He made this day to empower you in your faith to grow closer to Him. He made this day to change you. He made this day to make you one step closer to being more like His Son, to be the person that He designed you to be. And with all the pain and everything else that may come your way this day, even this day, God already knows about it and He's planned it. He's purposed it. So you can celebrate it in every other day to come, no matter what problems may be lurking around the corner, just waiting for you to get out of bed so they can begin their dirty work in your life. You can make a choice to celebrate this day in anticipation of what God is going to do. To me, it's kind of exciting to wake up each day not knowing what is going to happen. You just don't know. Is today the day I'm going to get in an automobile accident? I don't know. Is today the day that, you know, God is going to bless me with something just would blow my mind? I don't know. None of us do. But David said, let us rejoice and be glad in it. And I want you to note here, in order to rejoice, you have to make a choice. You don't just automatically start rejoicing. It's a choice you have to make. To rejoice requires a choice. It's something you decide to do in spite of your circumstances. From the time you open your eyes each morning, you're going to begin making choices. One of the first choices you should make each day is to stop and think about the Lord. What, what are you going to think about when you open your eyes? Are you going to think about the bills that haven't been paid? Are you going to think about the boss that's just you know, on your back 24-7? What are you going to focus on? What is your life going to be focused on? See, too often when we're going through hard times, we start today thinking, what bad thing is going to happen today? What's next, God? What will the next problem be? What else can possibly go wrong? I mean, if we're honest with ourselves, most of us start the day saying, this is the day that my problems have made. Let me be miserable and complain and grumble about everything. (laughs) I mean, that's the honest truth. And before we know it, we're completely focused on the power of our problems. Before we know it, we're completely focused on our mistakes and the the power of our sinfulness and the power of our enemies. And we're not thinking at all about the power of God. See, Satan has a way to refocus us on the bad things. And God is saying, no, let your mind dwell on heavenly things. Let your mind dwell on things above. We're not thinking about how he has designed this day to bring good into our lives. We're thinking about all the bad things that could happen. The best way to learn to celebrate each day is to make a habit of getting in God's presence as early as possible. Learning to commune with God in the early morning. 
Now, this doesn't have to be some, you know, big thing. It doesn't have to be a big deal. I mean, some people, if you were to ask them, what does it mean to you to commune with God in the morning? Well, first of all, I get on my knees on the hardwood floor beside my bed and I read 20 chapters of the Psalms and then I pray for eight hours and then I'm communing with God. Well, that may be great for you. That would not work for me. You know what works for me? I'll just be real honest with you. My alarm goes off at about 4.45, 5 o'clock every morning. Clock radio, 1100 KFAX. And it turns on. And usually it turns on kind of loud, so I've got to turn it down. And usually there's a show on at that time. 5 o'clock it starts. Sometimes I'm not even coherent. Okay? It's not like I'm getting out of bed and, and okay, now's the, you know, my devotion with God. I'm laying horizontal on the bed and the alarm goes off. But what starts coming into my head is good things from God's Word. Somebody's teaching on the radio. I'm listening to it. Sometimes I get kind of excited. I'm laying there. I'm thinking, wow, I never heard that before. That's a neat illustration. And, and I start thinking. Other times I fall back asleep. The guy's boring. Whatever he's talking about doesn't make any sense. But while I'm laying there asleep, I'm still hearing this stuff. My mind is still hearing this stuff. It's absorbing it. This isn't like a weird, you know, kind of thing. I'm just saying that's the easiest way for me to start off the day with my mind set on God. Because I'm not disciplined enough to get up at 5 o'clock every morning and then, you know, go to a prayer closet and, and I just can't do it. But you know what? That works for me. And usually by the time I'm in the shower... I'm in a pretty good mood. I don't wake up in a sour mood. And I think that's one reason why. As soon as you wake up, shake off those cobwebs out of your head. And as soon as you're capable of coherent thought, somehow get alone with God. If that means just laying there in bed and just saying, God, you know what? Thanks for this day. I don't know what it's going to bring, but just give me the understanding, give me the wisdom, give me the, the ability to deal with whatever you give me. Thanks, God. Praise you. And just go on with your day. It's exactly what Jesus did. We see an example in Mark one thirty-five. Early in the morning, while it was still dark, it says, he arose and went out and departed to a lonely place and was praying there. See, so many times we use that verse to say, okay, we've got to focus on the lonely place and you've got to focus on the praying there. And the fact is, is, you know what? He communed with the Father. That's what he was doing. If you need to go to a lonely place, if you're disciplined enough to do that, and hey, great, God bless you. But some of us may not be. So we've got to find other ways to do it. Good morning, Lord. This is the day that you've made. I'm going to rejoice in it and embrace the day. And after my shower, usually I head over to the coffee shop about 6 o'clock, 6.15, whatever it is, go in there, and usually I'll have either on my phone or have my scripture with me. I'll read a couple verses, whatever. Not a big deal. All right? It's, it's just the, the idea that I'm putting something in my head other than just garbage. And it's, it's interesting because, you know, after I open the paper, after having that time, and it's not a prolonged time. I'm not up here saying, oh, I spend hours. I'm not. I mean, we're talking minutes. But after that time, somehow when you open up the paper and you begin to read what's going on in the community and in the world, you see it in a different light. It almost is, is a way of me kind of praying for those things. I mean, you pray about some of the horrible situations over in Gaza with the Israelis and the Palestinians. I mean, you know what? I look at that and you see the kids who are suffering on both sides. Every, you know, I mean, you pray. Your heart just cries out to God. Man, do something here. So get alone with God. Commune with God early. In other ways, to bring an encouraging word to everyone you encounter. <laughs> Hopefully that would be your family first. You know, if your kids are ready for school on time, or if they're running a little bit behind. Make an effort. And it takes an effort. Trust me, I know. To say words that will encourage them. I'm a very critical person at heart. I can unleash you know, unkind words quickly. Just tear somebody down. doesn't matter. I mean, just watch a movie with me sometime. And you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. I mean, I'll ruin the movie for you before it even starts. That's just the kind of person I am. I don't know why I do that. But you know, I'm not very encouraging that way. But when you stop for morning coffee, or, you know, if you're, coffee, if your server gets your order right, say something positive to them. Thank them. 
Or even if he gets the order wrong, say something to encourage him. Hey, things will get better. Just use those encouraging words when you get in the office with your spouse every part of the day. Because that, that's going to just, God is going to bless that. And I'm not talking about some positive confession, weird Joel Olstein kind of a thing here. I'm talking about what's scriptural. Celebrate the day. It's the day the Lord has made. Look for signs of his presence. Look for opportunities to grow. Look for solutions. Look for possibilities. Some of us go through a day and we forget about the possibilities. It's God's day. He made it for you to experience him. Second way is ask for more than enough. Ask for more than enough. This is sounding more and more like a Joel Olstein sermon, but trust me, it's not, okay? Ask for more than enough. Look at what he says in Psalm 118, verse 25. He says, Save now, I pray, O Lord. O Lord, I pray, send now, what's it say? Prosperity. Wow. You mean I'm not just supposed to ask, just to, God, just give me enough to get by another day? David is not praying, nor has he ever prayed, with a poverty mindset. I mean, there's nothing wrong with expecting great things from God. He's not saying, Lord, you know, just help me squeak by one more day, one more situation. Just help get me through somehow. What kind of prayer is that? He's saying, send abundance. You know what? Send plenty. In the New Living Translation, it says, Lord, give us success. Give us success. There's nothing wrong with that. See, I think in a knee-jerk reaction to all this positive confession, you know, word of faith kind of stuff, we go to the other side of the pendulum. And we just hunker down and no. No success. No prosperity. We just have to squeak by each day. That's not how God wants us to live. Take a moment to think about what prosperity means in the context of your problems right now. Think about what kind of abundance do you need. Think about an abundance of money. Do you ever think about that? Do you ever just dream that if God just unloaded a bundle of money on you? I mean, more than you could ever even begin to spend in this lifetime. What you could do with it? How you can encourage people? How you can, It's fun to dream like that. My daughter and I were at Best Buy the other day, and I said, wouldn't it be neat just to be just really, really rich? And you go into one of these places, and you see a family that's maybe not too well off looking at a big screen TV or whatever. You walk up to them, and you go, yeah, you like that? Yeah, yeah. Well, we can never afford that. Well, you know what? It's yours. God bless you. I don't know about you, but I would love to bless people that way. Maybe an abundance of cooperation from your colleagues at work. Maybe an abundance of ideas. Maybe an abundance in your health. Maybe an abundance of love in your marriage or your family life. See, he was asking, Lord, we beseech you, we send prosperity. He stopped praying this prayer of poverty. Just get me enough to get by. Give us everything according to your will. We're not demanding it. But Lord, we're your people. We're blessed people. Flood our relationships with love, with excitement, with passion, with romance. My wife's back there going, yeah, preach it, brother. You know? Like I said, man, this sermon talks to me too. You know, it's not just, trust me. I mean, guess what? It came back with Abundance. When you believe that God is really in control of the situation, you don't need to ask merely for barely enough. You can ask for it all because God is in control. He's the one to ask if you're going to ask. Don't just hope the circumstances get better. Pray that the circumstances will get better. See, if you're just hoping, that's just kind of, that's not faith. That's just acquiescence. That's just saying, oh, well, you know, that's kind of like fatalism. It's not in God's plan for his people to merely survive. He wants them to thrive. 
And that goes from our personal lives to our church lives. I mean, you know, I look at this campus. You know what I dream about? I dream about a flat parking lot that has a volleyball court, that has a basketball court, that's level so we could entertain youth, having a wanna circle down there. I look at these classrooms over here. You know what I look? I look at an after-school program for kids to teach them how to play musical instruments. I look at, you know, an outreach to the community. I, you know, there's, there's so much here. And God wants to use it. He wants to bless it. So let's commit to asking him for an abundance this new year. I'm going to start talking about money. Let's ask him to fill his church up. Let's ask him to fill, let's, let's ask him to make this baptistry full every week. We have to fill it up every week because people are coming to Christ. Because the body of Christ is going out into a lost and dying community and sharing the gospel of Christ with those who have yet to hear. And it's supported by your walk of faith in their presence. And they look at you and they say, there's something different. I don't know what it is. But in this mixed up, out of control world, there's something different there and I've got to go investigate or I'm going to ask them. And you have an opportunity to share Christ with them. That's what it's about. And thirdly, look to the light. In verse 27 of Psalm 118, <clears throat> David says, God is the Lord and he has given us light. The Lord is God and he has given us light. What do you think the word light refers to? Well, it refers to the light of his word, that's for sure. In Psalm 119, 105, it says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. If you're in the middle of a mess, middle of a trial, middle of a tribulation, whatever it may find you, you need to spend more time in God's word. I know that's the opposite of what we do most of the time. Usually we kind of default to trying to figure out our mess on our own and trying to figure out how to get out of it. And God's saying, you know what, you just need to be in my word. Just be in my word. Not just Sunday mornings. I'm talking about every day. Beloved, if you're, if you're hoping somehow this message on a Sunday morning somehow gives you enough to skate through the rest of the week, you're sorely mistaken. And you know what? It doesn't matter whether it's me standing here, Billy Graham standing here, Greg Glory, whoever you, know, you think of, John McCarr, whoever is your key teacher. It doesn't matter who is filling this pulpit. If that's all you're getting, you're not getting enough. You need to be in God's word. Read the Psalms. David's prayers help you remember that you're not the first person to feel the way you feel. You're not alone. Read the Proverbs, the sayings of Solomon. They'll give you wisdom to help you make decisions. Read the historical accounts. You'll see how God has a habit of coming through for his people. Read the prophets and you read the declarations that will help you identify some of the sinful attitudes that maybe you need to confront. Read the Gospels in the New Testament, the teachings of Jesus that help you get your priorities straight. Read through the epistles of Paul, Peter, James, John, and they'll help you develop the right attitude that you need to embrace each day and the right attitude toward others. See, God has given us his word, his light to go by. He speaks to us today through his word. The word light can also refer to hope. Hope, not only his word, but hope. David said in Psalm 27, 1, Psalm 27, 1, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? So you don't have to endure the day upon day after day of darkness. God wants to break through and bring light into your life. He wants to give you hope. Some of you are living without hope. I see it on your faces. He wants to give you that hope. But you need to go to him and say, God, you know what? Here's how I feel. I feel hopeless. Help me. He'll answer that prayer. You might feel like your life is just one big unmanageable mess. Don't believe your feelings. Tell your feelings to God. I'm not saying hide them from him, but don't believe them. God is bigger than your feelings. Look to the light. Look for signs of hope. Look for possibilities that God can bless you. God won't leave you in that situation forever. He says in his words, he'll provide a way out. Whether it's a temptation, whether it's a trial, whatever it may be. But we have to develop this God is in control mindset. 
And when we do, it, it means that we begin to look at something other than your problems. You begin to look to an almighty God. It means that you look at something other than your situation. See, so many times when we're in the midst of a trial, all we're focused in is that trial. That's it. Ah, oh, my teenager, he's not walking with the Lord. And all we're focusing on, on that. And that becomes our life. And God is saying, don't focus on that. Focus on me. I'll take care of that. I know what's going on over there. I know what's going on with your work situation. I know what's going on in your marriage. I know what's going on with that relationship or maybe you're lonely, whatever it might be. I understand. I am God. I know that. You just focus on me and let me take care of the rest. And he will. Keith Green has a wonderful song. One of the phrases says, you know what? God will take care of the rest. He'll take care of the rest. He will. You focus on what you need to be focused on, and that's him. It means that you look at something other than your situation. It means that you look to God for answers, to his words, to his presence, commune with him. We started off saying life isn't easy, but it's not. It's not easy, but we know that it's good. And we all face challenges, big and small, each and every day. Sometimes things seem to just spin out of control. The key word there is seem to spin out of control because they're not out of control in God's eyes. No matter how things may look for you today, you can find a place of peace in the presence of God. When you get focused on Him, because He is for you, first of all, and secondly, He is in control of every situation, including the situation you find yourself in even today. It's a choice you make choice to be honest with your situation, a choice to trust that God will deliver on his promises, you can celebrate this day because this is the day that God has designed to change you, to make you more like his son, to help you, to teach you. You can ask for more than enough because God has the ability to help you thrive. And you can look to the light because his word and his presence, you'll find all the help you need. You don't need to look anywhere else. As we turn our hearts to the communion table this morning, I pray that as we look at this new year, Father, as we embrace this new year, Lord, we don't know what you have for us. But God, we do know that you are in control and that you are for us. And Lord, we ask that you would make that very clear to us. Lord, help us to know beyond a shadow of a doubt, that you're on our side, you're in our corner. And Lord, I just pray for the folks here this morning, no matter what they're facing, Lord, you may be the only one that knows in them. No one else may know what's going on in their life, and that's fine. But God, that means that you're, you're in control. Lord, I pray that their hearts would be turned to you, that they would cry out to you for your assistance, that they wouldn't allow pride to keep from them your blessing. And Father, we pray that as we watch this video and as we sing a couple hymns, Lord, to prepare our hearts for communion, I just pray that you would do that, that you remove any obstacle in our heart that may cause us to not believe your word. Lord, if there's sin in our heart even now, I pray that we would confess it, that we could come before you with a pure heart as we celebrate our communion time. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' precious name. Amen.